Proof Fire Away. I'm Dipashri, your host, a marketer by profession, a poet and podcaster by passion. In Bulletproof, you'll meet incredible women who have turned their harshest adversities into their biggest wins. To rule the world, Bulletproof! A childhood spent across different homes, a high-flying job in her teens, a bad marriage in her early 20s. Lavanya Haji seemed to have it all, but just not the right things. Does she make a turnaround? Find out in part two of Bulletproof with Lavanya Haji. Let's now talk about what is possibly the most difficult phase in your life, right? Like I was witness to it, so I may be a little, little biased about it, but it still gives me goosebumps to even think about it. You, are, after the marriage, got into a relationship that changed things for you in ways more than one. How and why did you start that relationship? Uh, so from the marriage, yeah, I got pretty uh, disengaged from it already. I, I think I lost the love that I thought I was with that person. And then another person came along and showed me how it was to be loved, especially physically. So I never experienced that physical closeness as much as this person showed me how it was to be physically close and how it was, how it is. I mean, you know how it is to be physically close and have a, a be happy from like how you feel happy from it. So that person was giving me a lot of it. In fact, in overdose and daily dose of it. So I, I felt like this is what I want my life to be. Mm. And I was hooked on to it. You can say that I became an addict. Mm. And, um, but that person was really cunning because little did I know that him giving me all this that I wanted, he was also taking a lot from me. Mm. I didn't see that coming because I was blindly in love, right? And I was, at the same time, I knew I was hurting people around me, people who genuinely uh, cared for me and loved me. I knew I was hurting them, but I just couldn't get out of this toxic relationship that I was in. I, it was, it's so hard to describe that, um, that feeling. And I remember praying so much over it and mm -hmm. This one thing that my ex-husband said, I still remember. He said, you call yourself a Christian. And is it because you are a Christian, you think that your sins will always be forgiven? Mm. And that hit me hard. And I didn't know what to reply to it because I really felt such a sinner at that time. So I remember praying to God and I said, this is not what I was I'm meant to go through. Just weed me out of this immediately, even if it's going to be painful as F, just get me out. And he did weed me out like in the most painful way possible. But I think that was necessary in my life because I wouldn't have been able to get out of it on my own, nor could have anyone helped me through it. You said it was a very toxic relationship. So we were witness to it from the outside. Tell me a little more about why it was toxic for you. I want... Uh, especially women who are listening to really, um, how do I say this, to know the signs when they see it. Like if, if they are seeing similar signs in their relationship, they should be able to point out the toxicity immediately instead of waiting uh, for years to realize that this is toxic. So what 
in retrospect, what do you think was toxic uh, about that relationship? Oh, yes. So I'm such an expert in it right now <laughs> that I can pick out instantly what a toxic relationship is. First of all, is when that person starts to control, take control over you, every aspect of your life and mask it with what they call it, love, attention and care. Um, it's very subtle, but when you feel like you need to explain every move of yours to that person, that's a toxic relationship in itself. Mm -hmm. um, number two is obviously physical abuse. Also, again, masked with apologies and gifts after physically abusing you. Uh, and then you feel like, okay, I can apologize this person because, I mean, I can forgive this person because they've just apologized me and made it up to me. But the one time that person raises their hand on you, it's that time that you need to tell yourself you need to walk out of the abuse because it will never stop. Mm. Yeah. So once a man lays his hand on you, it will never stop. That's, that's unforgivable, basically. It's the amount of respect that they have for you. I, number three is, I would say, uh, sexual abuse as well. Even... Even though you don't consent to it, but they make you feel guilty over not consenting to it, like saying that, oh, you don't love me anymore. Uh, you know, that kind of uh, threats, yeah. like emotional threats. So I, I always tell some of my girlfriends who, are, who have gone through sexual abuse, they are not able to identify it because the men are so good at masking it with sweet words. So sweet talkers, oh my God, sweet talkers are a whole different chapter altogether. Yeah. I will never trust a sweet talker because there's something up their sleeve mm. and it's always 99.9% .9 accurate when you meet a sweet talker. There's something going on with them. So yeah, um, that's my advice for identifying toxic relationships because I went through all of them, right? So I think uh, one other thing that I remember at that point of time, you really struggling with is both of you were in a similar line of work and you had been in that line of work for far longer and he was just a beginner. And I also remember you struggling with the fact that uh, using your credibility to sort of both some of your clients, etc., right? Uh, tell us a little about that, like, because that is a huge professional hit, especially in a smaller country like Singapore, where anyway, your market size is fairly limited geographically. Yeah. Um, so building a business is really tough. And I understood it when I was building mine. So when I started my own company, I actually got the blessings of my uh, superior um, back then to to even ask if I if I can build another business similar to hers and we kind of like worked out the terms and condition between us so that was how sensitively I took building a business and keeping good relationships with my competitors let's say put it that way so when he started um building his career through me I supported him in every way possible like how I do with all my instructors but when he started poaching my clients that was that was it I didn't that was my cue to tell me that this 
person is all out to just use me. Mm. And I, as much as possible, I tried to save whatever that I had left. But God is so good that clients that he poached, they eventually came back to me. So that's, that's fine. But it was just that whole journey of him trying to use my every resource that I've built over the years mm. to his own advantage, including setting up a business that was similar to a business name that I once used and also taking all the photos and the content that I had with my website for his. So I really didn't protect myself legally at that time. I wish I had. Now I've learned my lesson. I make sure I'm legally protected in all ways. So it's a lesson learned in all aspects. And he taught me the hardest lesson in business. Yeah, and in life. And then you tried to break up and something mad crazy happened then. Like he became a whole different animal, if you will. What happened when you tried to break up? So um, we were in and out at that time still. Because like I say, it was a toxic relationship. He wasn't willing to let me go. At the same time, he was torturing me. And um, I had to create a different path for my exit from that relationship. And even if, and that made him uh, so mad because he, obviously because you are the toxic person is losing control over you, right? Mm -hmm. Like they want to be the last person to have the last say in everything. And then you are going against that and you are the one who's trying to have the last say in, in everything. So when I was, uh, when we had that episode of breakup, it was so bad that he, he broke my windshield, my car windshield. And, um, it was so embarrassing because it was in a public place and I've never experienced that kind of, um, I mean, I've witnessed, I've witnessed such abuse before in my life, but when it happens to me, yeah, I didn't know what to do. I went hysterical. I, I wanted to, there was a, I remember there was a well, what do you call it? A drain nearby and I wanted to jump over it that was like the thought and i kept beating him up and he kept uh pushing me it was it was it was a brawl wow um i don't even know why no one called the police <laughs> it was it was really that rough so that was the worst breakup ending but it was needed yeah yeah, yeah that was the last straw you also, at that point of time, were actually going through depression, right? Yet no one could ever tell. How did you fake it? Like, like it must be really tough to have come out, just about come out of a marriage that didn't, uh, you know, live up to its expectation, then get into a really passionate relationship, but passionate for all the wrong reasons, ending up in physical and sexual abuse. And then also finding out, did you find out then that you had depression or did you find out at a later stage that, oh my God, what I was feeling was actually depression? Tell us about that because you were, you know, the most bubbly person around, always there for everyone. But now we know that you are actually undergoing fairly severe depression. Hmm. Uh, so actually I was going through depression for a really long time, but I didn't seek help um, because people around me were telling me that what you're going through is not depression. You are you are sleeping, you are eating, you are doing your normal things and stuff like that. But these are uninformed people. I wish I had gone to a 
certified uh, therapist to tell me that I was going through depression and giving me the right tools to deal with it. Um, I faked it because I've been faking it all my life. No, I've been faking happiness all my life. So it just seemed like this was also the right thing to do to just fake through what I was going through. Um, if I had known that faking it was also at the same time hurting the people that was with me at that point in time, I would have sought help. But what were the signs of depression? Like what were you going through that listeners should watch out for? sleeping a lot i was sleeping excessively a lot and that was all i wanted to do because that was that was my way of escape from the things that i had to do during a day during in in, in a day i was sleeping a lot and um i was drinking a lot as well i was partying a lot um alcohol was also my avenue out away from it and i was I wouldn't say, I would say the suicidal thoughts were there like oh my god I need to end my life what's the point of living you know nothing is going my way I'm not good for anything but at the same time um those suicidal thoughts uh was my way of telling myself die 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 but I was so chicken to do it thankfully I was too chicken to even do it but that was the self self harm that i did to myself just constantly telling myself i'm not worth living i'm not worth living so there's always constant negativity in my mind but let's talk about re- recovery now starting at the last relationship which was honestly like you said in your own words a turning point for you what did you do immediately after like what were your next steps or actions like the moment where you knew you had to walk out you had to make that very decisive action happen otherwise you'd be caught in this vicious cycle of i want to go i don't want to go i want to be depressed i want to party like you know like what was that action i want you to tell us that so that you know the listeners can then say okay an action can be quite literally as simple and small as this but it'll you know set forth a many actions that will lead to my recovery yeah so the first thing i did i think you remember this episode also i left physically left the location singapore i left i remember coming to mumbai and telling you all that was happening in my life um actually i left a few times because i knew that even that one time i left it wasn't an escape but it was a way of me just leaving everything behind and just clearing my thoughts and gathering my thoughts at the same time to what was the next step so i'm i'm really grateful to you uh sheltering me then because i that was what i needed i came back and that toxic relationship was over by then so the one that i had to focus on was the marriage then i knew that i didn't want to be in the marriage anymore because we are not giving each other happiness so why and um i sought a friend of mine a very good friend of mine she gave me a contact for a divorce lawyer who was really very sweet he made the process really smooth for me and very much painless thank god we didn't have children or any assets that was um uh complicated to to deal with so it was a smooth divorce process um so that was again out of the situation now the memories that came along with all these these are the most painful uh thing to handle so because we shared so many memories and photos and all this together right um 
I I had to clear them out of my way. Like I didn't want to see anything that was in my way to uh, make me recollect those memories. So mm-hmm. I had to basically get rid of them. Even though the wedding photo shoot was really expensive, but <laughs> that doesn't mean I should hold on to it. Okay. But yeah, so it was my way of, you know, just uh taking it out so whatever material or memories that was connected to me i just let go of it mm. if it's expensive let it be i just let it go um the the next thing i did was to dive in more into my work mm. my work being what i love to do i i was losing a lot of money at that time because obviously i was going through all these problems and I was left with even trying to find for a dollar to eat. Mm. So I had a very good support network of friends at that time. And one of my friends, Adeline, she was the one who was fed me during those times. She said, come over, sleep with me. I'm feeding you. We're going to go through this together. She followed me for every class that I had. She was there with me physically. So having that physical support system really helped me from even having the time to think about stupid things. So that network, that support network was really uh, important. One thing that I just started doing was seeking therapy. But at that time, my therapy was, I managed to find a Bible study group at that time. And every time I went for that Bible study group, it was, I knew I was, um, anchoring myself more onto faith that everything is going to be all right. But at the same time, it was also giving me hard lessons and truths on what I should work to be a better person. So my Bible study group, um, my teacher is quite an iron handed woman. She tells you to your face that you're not doing the right thing, you know, Mm -hmm. so that really helped. And I needed that knock of sense into my head. Um, So a mentor, a guide is really was really important at that time. And I was so grateful that I had that. And yeah, and above all was my dance. Like every time I danced, it was just making me so happy. And I knew that this was what I was meant to do. I was given this talent to do it. And why am I not working on it hard enough? And the minute I started working on it hard enough, everything just fell into place so nicely for me. Um, if I can uh, try and sort of just uh, uh, list the things that form part of your recovery and that have really helped you. One is just this clean, clear physical closure that is very, very important. It is important to not revisit that past because yes, there are good things, but there are lots of things that can cause you harm. That's number one. You dived into your work uh, which which really is a huge part of our lives and it helps us redirect our energies. Um, you depended on your support network of friends who showed up for you. And that's very important. And you continue to show up for them. So which is which is an amazing way to sort of pay it forward or keep that cycle going. You found your anchor in faith. We'll talk about that a little more later. And you within that, you found someone elder, wiser, who could be your mentor, your guide. Uh, which is so, so important, right? Like we say that at work, we need a mentor. Why don't we need a mentor in life? So that's amazing. Like your spiritual guide, 
And of course, then there is dance. Like I say, dance is a solution to all problems. It's it's just, it's based on these four or five practical steps that you took. Is it safe to say that these practical steps actually helped you keep your head above water uh, and helped you finally, you know, not not drown? Is, is it safe to say that? Yeah, for sure. Tell me, in the process of recovery, did you face any setbacks? Were there any times where you felt like, man, this shit is not worth it? Like, I I just want to give up. Like, you are going, you're going, you're recovering, you're on a positive track. But as it happens to all humans, what are some of the watchouts we should bear in mind to say, okay, this is a setback and I need to ignore it and I need to charge forward. Did you have any setbacks when you were recovering from that, the last bit of your adversity? Uh. I wanted to say not really, but um, I would say ignoring society's talk behind your back. That seemed to kept or actually rather keep coming my way even till now. That um, and you you will always be a lunch or dinner table topic for someone, and when that someone tells you those kind of comments like how you should have lived your life or how you should have done this, done that. That kind of like irritates me and annoys me, but I've come to that phase where I don't, I don't let it bother me anymore. It used to bother me how the other person was thinking about me and I'll try to salvage that relationship. But it came to a point where if I need to work hard in salvaging a relationship that didn't understand the, my story from A to Z, I'm not going to waste my time working on that. i rather transfer that energy to something else like my business or the friends that truly matter. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I think, uh, the, the four pillars of your ongoing recovery. Tell me a little bit about how you put them into practice. Uh, one is faith. Um, how do you constantly practice that? Because faith is a matter of practice, right? Uh, dance, of course, uh, if you can tell us a little more about the exciting stuff that you're working on. Uh, the third would be your purpose in life. There's a far bigger purpose that drives you. And that's amazing. Tell us a little about that. And of course, I've saved the best for the last, which is being a mom. Uh, how does how does that um, give you your fourth pillar of support, strength, recovery on an ongoing manner? Uh, so first pillar, faith. Yes, it is a practice. Um, it wasn't easy when I first started off because I, I never, I knew I wanted to be a Christian, but I never knew how much being a Christian actually would change my life. Starting from how my grand was seeing my grandmother pray and all that. Um, then I started listening to Joel, Joel Austin podcast. Oh my God, that man is, it's amazing. Every podcast of his is only 20 minutes. But that 20 minutes literally can change your mindset for the day to think even more positive and you're ready to slay the day. So every time I listen to his podcast, I'm so energized by it. And also, of course, reading my Bible and studying the word. Um, for a first timer, reading the Bible won't be easy. So simple podcasts like Joel Austin, who weaves stories into the into the Bible verses, makes it understandable. And yeah, that's my favorite book. And I will never, I, I know it's never say never, but I know I will never, oh, that was a tongue twister, that I will never give up my faith. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, second pillar, dance. Ah, can't talk enough about this. Um, anyone, I would say I'm not being modest about this, but anyone who has stepped into my dance class walks away 
more cheery, more positive, and such a it's such a happy thing to be in. And I'm so grateful that I have the talent to dance and to also teach dance. And that again will always be a part of me. So the first two pillars are actually tattooed on my wrist, weaved into an infinity. Uh, pattern and yeah. these are the two most important pillars of my life for sure. Uh, purpose, the third pillar, purpose. I I know I'm mirroring my my grandmother with this purpose is to help people as much as I can in all aspects of their life. Even if it's something that I'm not well versed in, I would find means and ways to make sure that I study on it and be able to provide that for that person. So that is also how um, Tinted Whatever came about because I know of a lot of women, see, you are a hustler. You would know how to get things done and get things running. But a lot of women who want to do that as well, but they're unable to because they probably are facing a lot of setbacks themselves and they have this thing called imposter syndrome and they just need that kick and that's how Tinted Whatever came about because I want to support these women and help them realize their fullest potential that they can do something about what they want to do. So that is really my my purpose and my calling. Last pillar wouldn't have been possible without my husband, um, my little one. I feel like I... Obviously, as most moms who feel like they have to be their best version of themselves because your child is growing up to see what a human being should be. Hmm. And I want to show him that the first three pillars are what I want to reflect upon him. And me and my husband, we told ourselves, he doesn't have to be a doctor, engineer, politician, a Barack Obama. No need to be all that. As long as he has uh, arts and music in his life, he's good. Yeah. So we have our priorities in check when it comes to him. And I am so, so grateful that he has amazing... Uh, oh, wait, let me rephrase that. He has an amazing godmother and many other amazing people around him that shows him love. Love is all that I want him to experience in his lifetime. I, I want you to share with us, uh, your life is a win against adversity's love. So how do you celebrate this win? What are the things, small or big, that you do to celebrate and acknowledge this win more to yourself and honestly how did you take care of yourself during this entire process because it's very important uh we can go to the ends of the earth and you know like do everything in self-recovery but if self-care isn't part of it then it's pretty counterintuitive right okay so but how does love take care of herself while she's you know on the consistent road to recovery and becoming a better human being i love to see people laugh I love to engage with people who are carefree, who are positive. I think surrounding yourself with the right people really makes it easy to stay positive as well. I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I don't like negative people in my life, but they come as a challenge, of course. So every negative person that comes into my life, they will walk away feeling positive or even questioning themselves, why did I even raise that topic with Lavinia? <laughs> So no pity parties with me. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. Uh, you know me. I'm like a in your face. What do you call it? What do you always use that? What love you will say? Tough love. Tough love. Yeah. I'm a very tough love kind of person. Correct. So nothing is impossible. Everything is possible in life. So that's how I stay positive. What else would you like to achieve or contribute? Where do, where does love go from here? 
What's her next milestone, personally, professionally, anything? Um, I just want to be remembered for my for my courage. Mm-hmm. I just want to live a legacy. People want to live a legacy of uh, making millions or becoming a crazy rich Indian. No, no, I don't need all that. I just want to leave behind a legacy of how uh, people felt with my presence and obviously a positive one, not a drunken one. <laughs> is there a secret or is there a talisman we should know about? Because, uh, you know, like someone who's been through the amount of adversity you have, you have every right to be bogged down. But I, in all my years, a decade plus of knowing you, I've seen you sometimes, but it, the recovery is damn quick. So what's that springboard? What's that secret that maybe you can share with the listeners? Uh, first of all, faith, baby girl, faith. That is something that will always be with me. And secondly is there are actually people who are worse off than myself in this world. And if if they can be living through it, why can't I be or why can't you be? It's, it's just, I'm not saying compare your life with um, other people and feel miserable about, miserable about it, but compare your life with people who don't, do not have it and yet are grateful with what they have. We call this uh, the Bulletproof Adversity Banishing Framework, right? Tell me three distinctive or specific things uh, women can or should do uh, to recover from adversity, to live an inspired life. So what I mean is, these are just very practical takeaways or learnings that can help someone go from trauma to triumph, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, find something, uh, find a hobby, something new that you will be passionate about and be looking forward to doing it every single time. So that will be your kind of escape from whatever adversity that you are facing. So for me, it's obviously dance, but because I live, breathe, eat, dance, um, the other thing that I do for myself is I read a book. I love reading. So reading uh, uh, is your second uh, one. What's your third? Um, If you can afford it, travel. Mm-hmm. I know COVID doesn't allow us to do that But even if it means from going from the East Coast to the West Coast Take a walk or cycle or do whatever Just to get some fresh air into you It really helps I want to wrap this up by saying that you know I have mentioned this I think on two other uh, episodes of this podcast Where I have said that you know, dance saved my life And you got dance into my life I, I remember saying Uh, When I was going through the adversity and I remember moving into a shared apartment and not knowing what to do with my Sundays, it was you that came and said, no, you have to go to that dance class because you need something uh, to make you happy again, to give you a purpose again, right? And uh, for the listeners who might have heard the earlier episodes, so finally, ta-da, this is that person that introduced dance into my life and saved it in ways more than one. But... um, You know, thank you so much uh, for your intimacy in sharing these stories, uh, for your inspiration and for reminding us why you are truly bulletproof, love. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this, you know, almost as much as I have enjoyed it. Oh, are you thanking me? I mean, I, I, I don't I have to thank you for your time and your effort and your inspiration. I have to, right? I am truly grateful also to you for being such a wonderful friend to me all these years. I don't think 
even my husband have seen me through so much, but you have. Like you always say, we should have just married each other, but then I wouldn't have had the little one if I married you. So let's just put it that way. So thank you to everyone who tuned in. This was Lavanya's amazing bulletproof story of rising every time she fell. Stay tuned for another episode of yet another incredible woman who turned her harshest adversities into her biggest wins. See you again. Thank you. Rising up, strong and fierce, born a warrior at heart, fighting for equality. Gonna reach the top, guns blazing, a revolution won't stop. It won't stop. Profanity, her spirit radiates. Embrace her power, alleviate, liberate. She'll rule the world. Bulletproof. Welcome to Bulletproof Fire Away. I'm the Bashri, your host a marketer by profession, a poet and podcaster by passion. In Bulletproof, you'll meet incredible women who have turned their harshest adversities into their biggest wins. To rule the world.